Special thanks to everyone who pledged money to crowdfund the show this week, including Matt Lacey, David Walker, Tim Edwards, Zilliko Elia, Andy Hagen, Jamie Holland, Roland Roberts, Ian Wilkinson, Alistair Harding, Dan Laney, Ian Mercer and John Borshaw. There's a full list of our supporters on 361podcast.com, along with information on how to help us for as little as $1 per episode via Patreon. Hello and welcome to 361, our weekly podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name's Ben Smith. I'm Ewan McLeod. And I'm Rafe Blanford. This is Season 14, Episode 10, and we're back after a short break. This week, we're talking about smart things. Ben has been having fun on a smart bus. Ewan has been talking to Google Home. And Rafe has been a busy bee. Welcome back, chaps. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. It's been a while. I am livid. I am absolutely livid. I've been sat here now for nearly eight weeks uh, waiting for you, and uh, you haven't been here. So That's because you sat in a different room, That's then. true. So welcome back, Ewan McLeod, all the way from sunny Denmark. Hello. Hello, Hello London. And uh, I can confirm to you that Ralph Lavin and I have decamped to a different room with all of the acoustic qualities of uh, public toilet. So if you hear any flushing during the episode, I apologise. It's just Rafe having, you know, popping out quickly. So and how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, tired yeah. as al- as always. You know, just b- right. busy, busy with work and small children. Mm. But uh, we had the chicken pox. Uh, yeah, oh but it, it's better. And so now we're having some more of the teething. So how yeah. did you get the chicken pox? Was it a chicken pox party? No, no. Although actually it's quite funny. I hadn't realised that some countries immunise for chicken pox. So I sort of said mm. to some US colleagues, oh, my child's got chicken pox. And they sort of looked at me like I'd sort of given the child the plague out of negligence. And uh, <laughs> no, so we don't immunise for it in the UK. He, he got it in, in nursery or daycare or whatever. But he was, that was good. But you know how it goes. You had two and uh, they're tiresome. Right, that's the parent section over. Ref Bamford is Ref Bamford again for an audio-only podcast. The foe going to sleep line doesn't doesn't quite work. So, how are you, Ref Bamford? I'm well, thank how you. How are the peasants? How are the peasants? The peasants. Sorry, the peasants. I have to report that there are just I would say one too many colleagues cracking estate jokes around the office now, including in front of clients, and the clients find it even funnier. It's becoming an actual thing. I found two limited edition Rafe Blanford estate mugs uh, in storage. Whereas I, as I left my last job, you and I'd put them in the a locker at work and I yeah. found two. So we need to find some worthy uh, donors to give uh, special edition mugs to. But, um, and how is the estate? It's, um, the fe- it's nearly pheasant season, isn't it? The shooting season? It's very exciting. As you know, I did take a duck house out to the island and I'm pleased to report not only did the ducks nest in it, they successfully hatched out the babies. There we go. Well, so we've been away so long, new life has been brought into <laughs> this world. And, so, and yes. Can I just ask about the bees? Was that you doing the bees or was, or was that your father or it was, someone else? It was, it was me doing bees, yes. There's various jobs going on at this time of year, including making sure all the queens are happy and uh, <laughs> combining together colonies if they're not big enough. What about the bees? Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. Well, you have to distinguish between the buckfast bees and right. the uh, Italian bees, and they've got different temperaments. Right. Can I just say that I'm referring to an Instagram post that Rafe has published most recently, and uh, there is a 2A sign on the side of this particular hive. Does that mean anything particular? Uh, yes. Is, 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 is 2A is written next to it. That's the strength of the bees. They're a firm bee that make a narrow grey line, whereas if you have a HB, 
That's a that's a that's a middle uh, a middle type of B. And then and then obviously you've, you've got a Shakespeare B. That's a two B, or sometimes not two B. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Wow, well, you're on fire this evening, oh, Ben. Yeah, exactly. I don't actually have any B jokes. I'm just riffing. So go on, Ray Fanford. Tell us about your bees. Well, it's just their numbered, so you can keep track of the different hives. Do they move around a lot? No, but for record keeping, you want to know what you've done to what hive. See, I'd probably, you know, where did you leave it? There. Oh, there, it's just still there. The bees haven't moved it. Okay. <laughs> Grand, well, this is the, the it, I, I want to say. This is the stuff that podcast gold is made of. I want of. to say first world problems, but it's like the sub one percenters, <laughs> isn't it? So we'll, we'll come up with a new Blanford hashtag. And how is Denmark, Hugh McLeod? Now, you are not in the usual location either. I can't help noticing that no. you appear to be in a basement or in maybe a dungeon. I'm in, I'm in the basement. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the basement. You're and in. I'm pleased because normally I've been recording at the office. And you, you're now in Chateau McLeod. That's right. And it means I don't have to keep waving my hands every 15 minutes when, they, uh, you know, when the lights go off. Because we're always recording after hours. And that's quite annoying. And the air conditioning goes off in the office, I think, at 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock. So it gets quite hot and sweaty. Lovely. And so I'm not, I'm not having that problem. And you're sporting some lovely executive hair. As always, as always, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. Stephen's my executive hair producer. <laughs> and I'm, I'm talking to you live via fiber. Well, tell I've us about your fiber installed. Tell us about your fiber. This one in being no way tedious. It's not normal because I keep, people keep on saying, oh, I've got fiber. And I say, no, 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 no. Did anyone dig up the road? This is like the phone thing that made people write in and be angry with this, isn't it? I want, I want a good phone that nobody else is allowed to have because I'm better <laughs> than everyone else. And you've now got sort of, what, special luxury fibre, have you? Premium well, fibre. Sadly, this property couldn't get, I don't know why, you know, high-speed internet. Because I think almost all of Denmark, apart from my house, is covered by very, very fast internet. So I had to get the proper fibre installed. It's really, really exciting. You can actually see the wire go into the whatever it is that then goes into the router. Did they have to dig up the street? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they did a great job of it. It's a lot easier digging up the estate because it's, you know, no tarmac over the top. And when we put fibre into the estate, it went mm. from the pop box on the telephone pole underground into the kitchen. There we go. The fop box, was that? Pop. 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 Oh, fine. Uh, yeah, so I'm really pleased the internet's uh, very good. 100 up, 100 down. That's, uh, actually, given you've got actual fibre to the premises, which I think is, mm. the, is the term, I would expect it to be even faster. Yeah, so would I. That's quite, I don't know, that's, I'm not sure. Are you sure you haven't been done? Because this is, like, my marketing plan for you and McLeod products is simply to take a regular product and tell you and that no one else is allowed to have it and it costs double the amount. Yeah, it's, uh, it's called the e-product. Yeah. I did have to buy, I'm afraid to say, the cheapest one. Wow. That was, that's, a new, that's a new feeling for you, isn't it? Well, because I think you can get, obviously you can get more, but I, I just thought, well, I, I'm being sensible with 100. This will amuse you. I was in a meeting the other day and I was trying to, Explain. We were talking about a, a, a table on a website that was laying out the pricing of some products. Yeah. And somebody was saying, well, which product would you choose? And I said to them, oh, I choose the McLeod strategy. And then looked around the room yes. and realized nobody else in the room knew, <laughs> knew who you were. And it took me like 20 minutes to explain the McLeod strategy is go to the right and the bottom. And that's, where you, that's the product you want. <laughs> that's the right one. Yeah. <laughs> the most expensive, most highly specced version. Excellent. We should actually say we have had a little bit of a gap uh, so this is actually the 10th episode, as you heard at the top of the show. It's reasons for that gap, but we say thank you to all the people, the many people who wrote to Ben and said, what's happened to the podcast? I'd like to say thank you to some of my colleagues. One of them, Dale, gave me the bit of feedback that, yes, I'm, I'm really missing the podcast. I listen to it on long haul flights and it makes me go to sleep. Not sure that's the kind of feedback I want, but he did then reassure me that he listened to it too, again so he could understand and appreciate the content so thank you, you know, for that see, Dale. That's, um, we are soporific 
I was deluged yeah. with feedback and both the emails I said, when's it coming back? But didn't say please. But no, it, thank you for everybody who wrote in and verbally abused me for not having made the podcast. Everybody was asking you and they were saying, oh, it's Ewan McLeod because he's jet setting around the world. But actually, we were also stymied by Ralph Blanford's executive travel plans as well. Yeah. Sorry about that. There we go. So I've just. I was on the way one week. Yeah, I've just been sitting here waiting for the both of you. So. What are those trainers that you're wearing? These ones. Are um, those executive trainers? No, these are not executive trainers. These are my, I intended to walk home from the office today, but I forgot I was coming to record a podcast do you, trainers. Do you swap your shoes? I do, yeah. I okay. do, that's the thing I do, yeah. Because I, I, I like good hand. So work. in the office you have very smart shoes, and then, yeah. then like many of our colleagues of a female persuasion, you swap. To what <laughs> of, a, of a female, of a female <laughs> persuasion. Wow. There we go. As feminism is alive and okay. well on the 361 before, podcast. Before Ewan yeah. says anything else, perhaps we could move on to talk about what our main topics are going to be this week, Ben. Okay, Ralph Blanford, well, tell us what we're going to talk about this week. That's an excellent question, as I try to remember desperately what we're going to be talking about. In fact, we're going to talk about an experience that you had, very exciting, public transport and buses, returning to a favourite topic of 361. Yes, so I went on a bus and it was very exciting. There you go. Excellent. The end. Do you have any questions for me about my bus experience? They're these large vehicles, Ewan, that you have to share with other people on the road. I've heard of those. Yeah, I'm aware of them. Tell us, why were you drawn to the bus? Well, I was drawn to the bus because it was being run by CityMapper, who make Uh. a multi-mode travel planning application for a number of cities, but I think started off or certainly had London early on, and they are brilliant. Not not Copenhagen, I need to point out. They don't have Copenhagen, okay. But they have loads of cities, and they are brilliant. All the premier cities in the world are covered. Wow, that's (laughs) getting a bit fighty this evening. The thing I like best is that they do true multimodal. So you say, I am here and I want to go here. And it says, well, you could take the bus and then the train and then walk, or you could walk all the way, or you could get a bike some of the way. And it actually gives you a full range of options, including I don't want to get wet if it's raining and those sorts of things. And it's really, really good. It's really handy. Actually, in my view, it's sort of what the travel providers should do themselves. But because particularly in the UK, Transport is provided by a mix of private and public entities. It's really complicated to do joined up travel planning. So I love the app. If you are in any of the places they support, you should definitely use it. But I had never for a moment thought that they would actually run their own buses. Yeah, it's an interesting one. They did it for two days and they were running on particular routes and it's sort of been quite heavily trailed in the press why do you think they were doing it, Ben? Well, I, I don't have to speculate because I asked one of their staff on the bus. Excellent. Primary reporting. Yeah, and I've actually done some reporting myself. So they ran a circular route. And if you don't know London, this won't mean a great deal, but they ran a circular route that ran along the South Bank, over Blackfriars Bridge, along the Strand, past the Royal Courts of Justice, up to Waterloo Bridge and back down again. So actually, it's, very, it's a very short route, but it's very central. And it joins up a number of the major train stations and hubs and, and for onward travel. And they took some Mercedes minibuses, which had USB chargers in the seats. So they were very comfortably laid out. They were all done up in City Mapper green and branded up with their cartoon character, sort of decals all over them. And they'd also put in their own software, which showed kind of the route position where you were and how long it would take to get to the next stop. And then it also had some apps on an iPad for the driver who was getting traffic, cool. traffic data and stuff. And it was really cool. It's completely free. And if you used their app, it would suggest it if it was the best route for you. And it just rolled it in as, an, as a normal service. It was 
running from regular bus stops. So it wasn't like I know sometimes in Silicon Valley, there are kind of private bus stops where company buses stop to pick up people and drop them Mm. off. But these were stopping at, at regular proper bus stops. And I actually ignored the travel planning advice and just went and waited at one until they come along. And then I, I took a couple of rides and it was very lightly used, obviously, because they, they blogged about it and the app announced it, but they didn't make a big splash in the media. And I thought, oh, this is really interesting. But the main reason that they said they were doing it was primarily around running a smart bus service. The idea being that they have a huge amount of data that they collect from users and they're plugged into a huge amount of data that public transport providers offer through various APIs. And they actually were surprisingly complimentary about Transport for London, an organisation I think it's, think it's fair to say that not many people have affectionate feelings for, although you know, many of the staff who actually deliver travel services are excellent. Like, you know, all, the, all the people on the buses and trains I deal with are, are awesome, but, but people back at head office don't tend to be very popular. And mm. it, it tends to be an organisation beset with all the traditional stuff of kind of labour disputes and, and strikes and those kinds of things. But having said that, they do run an API and the City Mapper guy has said it was good and they'd been allowed to use the regular bus stops. And so they were doing a couple of things. One was just testing out all the tech in these buses, which gathered information and sent it back to their mission control centre about where the bus was and how many people was on it and the traffic, the speed they were moving and all that kind of stuff. And then the other one was around using it to try and work out if they could skip bus stops. And I was really surprised Mm -hmm. to hear about that one, but it turned out that that was one of the main interests that certainly the chap I was talking to on the bus seemed to have. Because on a circular route, what kept happening was because of delays, all the buses would end up being one after the other after the other. And they needed to have techniques to space vehicles out on the route. And I thought this was really fascinating because actually it wasn't until that you had demand and supply and all the various sensors in the vehicle all mixed up that you could actually do a competent job. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, there's three things that come out of this for me. The first of which is the kind of more obvious smart city thing where if you start putting sensors and putting a framework in place, you can actually run it in a much smarter way. They've done it all with the buses. You could actually put things in the road and the bus stops themselves. It's something we don't see very much because of the long lead times on kind of that public transport planning. But it does give a little hint of what things will look like in the future, especially when you've got autonomous vehicles coming in, which kind of by default and de facto will have all of that. But also for public transport, there's interesting to me that there's a middle ground there that you can add that smartness we don't see that in many cities because actually the you know when you're creating new trains for example for the overground or the underground in london or even the dlr they have a a lifetime of something like 30 years and so actually most of the rolling stock is pretty old even in london on the overground the most recent stuff with the walkthrough carriages and the electronic announcements and everything done well it feels like it's missed out on the last five years or so which has been the explosion of sensors and smartphones and so it's one of the first i've seen and have traveled in other cities where it's impressive and that bigger picture thing i think is really interesting for me but there's probably two other topics that i think are worth touching on here the first of which is actually city mapper kind of expressing a brand outside the app and it almost amazes me that we've seen this happen for city mapper which started off as kind of a can-do app with just a few employees and now is starting to grow outside that and that's for me is the power of smartphone apps and the scale that you can achieve with them well, so so you and I mean you know about like, the business side of things, but I was thinking this is uh, look because with you've got your executive hair and your banking. Oh, background well, of course, now, thank you, that. thank you. You are very kind, yeah. thank you. And I was thinking this is madness because the buses are all painted 
city map are green. They're all covered yeah. in decals. They're stuffed full of technology. And even if that technology is removable, there's a lot of investment in it. There were screens up. I mean, it was as modern as any bus I'd ever seen in terms of saying where you were on the route and announcing mm. things. And obviously, it was a brand new vehicle as well, and it had been driven, you know, all day, every day, so by a, a rotor of drivers and things. I'm thinking, this is a huge investment. Surely, if what they really want is just data, if they, what they really yeah. want to know is just how the buses are running and, and that kind of stuff, then you could have, you know, stuck a load of gizmos on a traditional London bus. red bus. Yeah, and watched it, but actually, they felt that they needed to go further and actually, you know, run their own buses so that they could do all their own testing. And it wasn't until Rafe started talking about autonomous vehicles and those sorts of things it reminded me that in some of the blog posts they started to talk about smart routing so at the moment you can only run a bus route that you've agreed with the authorities and licensed properly so you can't go off and set up a new route because it looks like people want to go a place that isn't well served tonight or tomorrow but the data that they're collecting you could well i think it just shows you that they mean business right because as you point out to make that level of investment that is a it will tell anyone thinking of investing in them that they aren't messing around. It will also demonstrate that they have access to data that nobody else has. Because for those, I'm afraid it was only two days, right? That's a bit of a shame. I was hoping it was going to be for, for longer than that. Well, I, I love getting a free ride to work every day, which was brilliant. So I was a bit disappointed it was only two days yeah. as well. But I think that the suggestion All that is... work well, for this two is, days. But this is yeah. the first in a series. It has to be the first in a series yeah. of experiments. I mean... Exactly. The, Obviously, they were monitoring very closely, but the first thing you do with a load of data is see, you know, make decisions and, and go and do another test about what they want to achieve next. It's really smart. And I think talking about the data is really interesting because that is what unlocks the potential of this smart thinking. Actually, it doesn't even necessarily have to be real time, although you can do a lot of interesting things in the skipping of uh, bus stops in particular. You know, it makes you think quite carefully about that. But in terms of urban policy planning, having that kind of data go into somewhere central. Now, CityMapper may be less interested in that, but it talks to the value of it. And actually, it's kind of the third thing I wanted to touch on was what CityMapper you know, are doing. They're sitting on a gold mine of data in terms of where people want to go because they're being asked constantly about travel planning. And it's very noticeable. I mean, people talk about this all the time for the big tech companies like Google, Amazon, and Facebook. And they say, you know, they're not tech companies, they're data companies. That's their biggest asset. And I think that's absolutely right. And Usually that goes along with saying 100 years ago, it was oil companies and that's why data is a new oil. But actually, I think this applies also at the kind of lower level for some of these city mapper type companies, which are, you know, still have the potential to be big. And don't get me wrong, they've taken on uh, VC funding and have quite impressive valuations. But there's an important caveat here. It's first party data, which you can collect in the app and you're getting a lot of information from Mm. that. But they're also expanding what their reach of first party data is by doing this bus service, they're collecting information that's sort of grounded in wider than just the smartphone. But of course, they're using the third-party data. You refer to the TFL APIs and using that. And I think the smartest companies that are based on this sort of data business model are thinking, how can we activate both the first-party and the third-party data and combine them together? And it's going to become more and more pertinent i think because we've got the new rules coming in around data protection next year and particularly around permissions for marketing with uh, gdpr too and the regulations around that so the smartest companies are thinking how can we collect data beyond those constraints and that's for me is why city mapper is being really smart and it's a way to extend its business model and i think we see that in other kind of apps as well you know with the on-demand the gig economy and 
you know, Uber talks about that and then being able to do the smart scheduling. I don't think people realize quite what the power and the, what an asset that is because they concentrate so much on the service that's delivered and not on the kind of knock-on effects. Can I just um, correct myself? It is actually, CityMapper is available in Copenhagen. Excellent. It wasn't. Because I, well, I, I was, like you guys, a massive user at CityMapper because it's what you know, Google Maps compared to CityMapper. Google Maps is 1990s technology compared to CityMapper, right? So I always use CityMapper in London and various other cities. But when I got to Copenhagen, I obviously fired up the app and found it wasn't available. So I've just been using Google, which is all right, but I just love the interface and the way CityMapper have, have thought of things. Uh, it's now available in Copenhagen, by the way, and in Stockholm, which is uh, very good. I visit Excellent. Stockholm regularly. And if you haven't seen this green bus, citymapper.com, you can actually have a look and you can read all about it and you can see the route, the pop-up route, they called it, Ben, yep. which is rather nice, yep. CMX1. Very cool. Yeah, I, I went on it loads. And actually, uh, I was thinking about you because I know you're really interested in ride-sharing services and mm. Uber and that sort of stuff. And I was thinking that maybe... I had thought that only Uber and people like Uber would generate that kind of data because they have tons and tons of cars, tons and tons of users. Hmm. They'd have a really great insight into the transport infrastructure of a city and its heartbeat as people move around and you know where the jams are and where the problems are and the best way to get from A to B. But I kind of completely missed the fact that actually what CityMapper do, which is joining up public and private transport as well, because yeah. they'll suggest to you going to a certain place and then getting an Uber from hmm. there example so yes. it really is it is true multimodal i have to say i was really impressed but more i think not just by a, you know a bus and a comfortable free ride and that kind of stuff that was great and I, it was amazing to see them getting into the data play but it was really interesting to talk to the guy on the bus who said i'm a user experience person and now i'm thinking you know by by making a bus i i don't just think about making some software and how easy it is mm. to look up your travel planning I'm literally thinking about the user experience of your journey. Getting on the bus yeah. and sitting in it and yeah, wow. And telling you where, you're, like, where you are. So by the time day two came around, the buses were pretty busy. Now they were small buses, but they were pretty busy with no marketing at all. And they were doing this loop and they were full of people who were tourists and, and sort of people who didn't know the city because they were, but most people were finding it through the advert in the app. You also realise that all the challenges of providing transport services to people who don't know where they're going. Yes. And I think that extension of app experience out into the real world. We've talked about it quite a bit with things like, um, you know, Bloom for flower delivery, um, for Urban Master, other on-delivery things and getting the end-to-end experience right and how that sort of translates into a full experience. It was, it was only really the Urban Massage lady who got your end-to-end experience well, right. Well, yes, I thought you'd probably bring that up. But actually, the multi, episode. you know, that, that multimodal thing yes. and also the fact that CityMapper brings in other services. And so you can actually book the Uber from within city mapper and that idea of apps sitting inside other apps and actually city mapper has very good expression within messenger and within smart watches as well they really thought about that mm. as you say that full mm. you know it's kind of seamless wherever you want it to be and that's for me is interesting because it, it's kind of this theme i've talked about before of apps breaking out of the silo not just on the phone now they're quite literally breaking out into the real world as well and that's a really powerful thing from a brand point of view i mean it just fascinates me the whole play around that and as, I think it's underpinned by the data, and I'd love to see what they're you know, planning next. It, it was funny, actually, because I was thinking, well, where was the genesis of this idea? You know, who was it who sat in a room and said, all right, we're not a travel planning app anymore. We're now a, a, data, a, provider. a, a data provider and playing that kind of stuff. And I wondered... Oh, wait, wait, no, a transportation provider. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. And, and also, you yeah. know, I, I, don't, I don't think long-term that I... I mean, it's in my perception now, but I don't think long-term I foresee them being 
a massive transport provider because true, true. This right. was we needed a whole set of sensors on wheels, so we had to have a bus, you know, kind of. And I yeah, think that yeah, the bus yeah. is 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 a means to an end. But actually, one of the things that he did a while back, which I think was interesting and is potentially an indicator of where their heads are, are at this, was that when you get on a tube train, they tell you which carriage of the yeah. tube train to get into, so that that will be closest to the exit you want, because one of the points of congestion when you're traveling on the tube is that often you'll leave one end of the station to connect to one line and the different end of the station to connect to another line and also sometimes the signage inside the station will direct you to take a very long route around the station which is for crowd management rather than for actually you know speed transfer and they give all that information in there and they so actually they're thinking as an app not just how do you plan your journey but how can you have the best experience while you're on your journey and of course the next thing that constrains that is the vehicle and where you are. And so I wonder, maybe they won't provide buses, but maybe they'll be the people selling data back to Transport for London and other bus providers that actually tell you how to route the bus, tell you when to skip a stop, provide ETA times on the big screen inside the bus to tell you that we're two minutes, one minute away from the nearest thing. Mm. Because at the moment, you know, I know know Transport for London try very hard. They have these signs on all the bus stops that say, bus number seven will be along in five minutes, four minutes, four minutes. It's like the Microsoft four minutes, you know, four minutes, four minutes, four minutes. And you're like, hang on a minute. They said that, you said that six minutes ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, kind of it's really, it's simple stuff, but it's actually fundamental to using the service as well. And it is the, the specialism of the respective companies. I mean, TFL does actually have a great open data policy and that they deserve a lot of credit for that. It's interesting to see where that space lies and, you know, Tube Exit, which is basically the app that existed before yeah. CityMap has started mm. doing it. It really is a really strong reminder that you have to plan in order to go mass market. You need to get the customer journey from end to end. And it is that experience that really sells you on a service and makes you learn and makes you want to come back to it. And I think sometimes we forget that when we just talk about, you know, the smartphone only part of it. The other thing that really caught my attention about this was So much of future transport has sort of concentrated on autonomous vehicles or the Uber model, plus then large-scale public transport. It suggests to me that there's a gap in the middle and Uber has spotted it and done Uber pool, but actually using smart buses that potentially have dynamic routing or that change from day to day or even from time to time against that backbone of tube plus major bus routes, I think is really interesting. That's something to think about in the future because, you know, even if there are loads of autonomous vehicles around, you know, actually it will still be more expensive to do that as an individual rather than getting on kind of a, you know, a bus that goes in a shared route. And for me, thinking about that future transport policy and the way that might work is, because you know, that is going to be transformational to lots of people's lives. And you just talked about it actually with your commute, you enjoyed getting on and having a different experience. And so that's worth thinking about. So, I mean, actually, I think City Mapper deserve a lot of credit for doing something that and I'm sure it's a great PR exercise as well, but mm. you know, it would be easy for them to rest on their laurels, but because you know, they are probably the best at what they do, but they've gone away and done something that sort of, for me, breaks quite a lot of new ground. It's interesting, actually. The other thing that was a complete surprise to me was it was the first opportunity I'd ever have to speak to anyone from CCMAP about their service. And I was thinking, mm. as an app and as a service, they are quite strange in so much as most of the other brands that I really feel affectionate for and really like, and then you know, I'm a sort of champion for a few, like Monzo, the startup bank, for example, you know, I kind of really think they're amazing. And one or two other kind of brands that I think are, are really, you know, exciting and innovative and really doing what they say. You have really identified founders and you have names and characters of people who sort of talk about what they're doing and announcing their kind of their plans and they make you sort of feel part of 
the service and and part of developing it you know you you sometimes you sort of you you buy into the vision so much as as the actual product straight away and city mapper don't do that they don't seem to have founders on twitter talking they don't seem to have community people they don't you know they're it's a very good service and there's very good customer service for people who are having problems but there's no chat there about their big vision and i kind of thought oh it's there's a company i'd love to understand more about and i think it's one i'd like to come back to but uh, they're a little bit under the radar uh, some of the time you gotta read the blog they've got a lot going on in the blog yeah the blog is good but actually mm. I know what you mean. They're not quite as active as some of the other the places where they're actively sort of soliciting. They're too busy making the product. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. So, second topic for this episode. We tried to replace Ewan with a a home assistant in an earlier episode, quite successfully, I I might say. Thanks very much. But I know you've now got your hands on a a Google Home, Ewan, and there's been quite a few announcements recently between Amazon and Google. So maybe we could... Talk about that as a bit of a roundup. Well, I think the 361 podcast probably predicted the new Amazon Echo Gizmo, which you're going to tell me the name of. The look in the show. The look in the show. So I think the show, the look is the one with the camera and the show is the one with yes. the screen. And if that's not right, please write in and tell Rafe who's wrong. <laughs> and the show, the one with the screen, I'm fairly sure when we talked about it, we said that's what we you wanted. Did, did. You, you specifically talked about that in the kitchen. I specifically talked about that kitchen. So uh, mm-hmm. basically, if Mr. Amazon could send my royalty check directly to my account, please, I'm currently buying a lot of nappies from Amazon. So uh, I'll be looking forward to for my discount. Yeah. So we should probably just summarize this, that the show is $229, which is essentially an Amazon Echo with improved speakers lying on its side, and then an Amazon Fire tablet bolted to the front. It's not the most attractive looking device I've ever seen. That's why you don't have the job in the marketing department, Rafe. It's basically two pieces of ugly plastic slapped together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I accept that maybe in, from an industrial design point of view, product design, whatever the correct terminology is, Rafe's making a face at me, Ewan. Mm. It's not pretty, but it does a thing I want it to do. Yeah, I can't wait to get my hands on one of these because I've used the Google Home with the Chromecast and had the screen work. And actually, you can get this kind of experience now with the Echo it puts the cards onto your on the app on your phone, the Alexa app. And there are a number of skills now that are starting to use that as a way to augment information. But we talked about using the kitchen with recipes, and there's a lot of potential around there. It'll be coming out in the summer. It's US only at the moment. I'm sure it'll be coming to the rest of the world in due course. But And then the, the look is actually um, almost the more interesting bit of innovation, I think. it's Again, I think it's about $229, something like that. And it's essentially a camera plus an echo, but it's targeted at a kind of fashion market mm. for taking selfies and doing your lookbook, which I think when you've got executive hair is probably something you and might do quite regularly. Well, thank you. I'll need to speak to Stephen about that. Yeah. And then there's sort of video surroundings that it takes. You can sort of twirl around and, and show you, and it will make fashion recommendations. Is that what they're calling them though? Well, I think that's probably a 360 selfie, but you know, it's sort of, you can twirl around and it will take a picture of you and show you the video. I have this enduring image in my mind, Rafe, of you getting up in the morning, skipping into the uh, the dressing room and twirling in front of the camera. Alexa, yeah, so tell I, me I'm beautiful. I would suggest I'm perhaps not in the target market well, well, for sure, the look. Surely in the tradition of all tech bloggers then, if, if you're not the target market, you should slate the product as completely irrelevant and move on. But I don't think it's irrelevant. I think it's really interesting. I mean, I do have some questions around Amazon setting itself up as a fashion guru through this device and isn't the whole point of fashion a sort of bit of individualism and where this might suggest more conformity according to the Amazon model and buy the right clothes. But brands have been telling us what we should wear for, yeah, for so, an age, haven't they? And actually, I'm quite happy to do as I'm told on that front. But kind of the Generation Z and, you know, the you know, 20-somethings who I think this is targeted at, it just feels to me like having a thing tell you about 
whether you're looking fashionable or not, kind of is the antithesis of individualism. Nonetheless, I really like having a product in a, 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 which I think it's probably say is more targeted at the younger demographic, but also female. And that's quite unusual in a gadget product. So I'm really intrigued to see how it goes. I mean, I think it's more of an experimental thing for Amazon because it is invite only at the moment. And so, you know, they're obviously doing a bit of testing. But nonetheless, this idea of a family of Echo products, really, really interesting. Did you, did you see the, the movie Aliens? And, yes. uh, oh, before my time. Oh. What? Before your time? Blanford. Well, it was like a 15. We're still, we're still 12. <laughs> so. Okay, all right, all right. So in the movie Aliens, right at the start, the corporation is trying to convince Ripley to go to that planet or whatever. This is a powerful narrative recap yeah. we're having here. <laughs> I, I think the Echo Show looks a little bit like that. That kind of it feels a little bit like the, the console they were using. I, it looks inspired by. Do you see what I mean? Do you remember that? You think it's got some aliens chic about it, do you? I, I think it looks like a webcam with an Echo inside it. Yeah, the industrial design. Yeah. I'm using my, my fingers here. Uh, I don't think there's much of that going on with yeah. that one. But um, hey, it's out the door, and I think I'd probably have one. I'm intrigued because I think the idea is sound, and I also love the idea that they're trying to innovate with products that aren't sort of sold for, out of curiosity for the tech. And I think my the, mother would have that. Well, so, the, how much is the Echo Show? I need well, to look yeah, and well, see. The, how much the, Echo, the Echo is already the product that's had the most family acceptance that I've exactly, ever, ever, yeah. ever bought because. Yeah. By being voice activated, by being in the family space, it's useful to us all. And I mean, we are now, I would say, reasonably advanced level Echo users. So obviously we listen to music and radio loads as well, but I check my commute on it. Hmm. My wife now, when she's cooking, shouts out to add items to the shopping list and we do our- Well done for not saying it. Well done for not saying it. we 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 do our weekly online shop- and now, unfortunately, at the moment, they're not integrated, but with a shopping list that the Amazon service has generated and going through and buying those things. And we actually synchronize, because you can, we synchronize it out to Todoist, which is a to-do list tool, which we also have some family tasks listed in as well. But it's really powerful. And it's kind of become completely natural in our house. In fact, it slightly weirds guests out because you sort of do it without thinking about it. But it's interesting, we put a dot in the bedroom with the idea that we've got a quite, a, we've got a few smart bulbs in our bedroom, and I liked the idea that we would turn them on and off by saying, mm. "Turn the lights on and off," because sometimes you're holding the baby or whatever, and we don't tend to use it so much. I think definitely the kitchen is the sweet spot, but I'm not. I'm thinking for a hundred pounds, I can make the case that it's quite a useful gadget, and it's kind of it's found a way into our kitchen for the kind of money that the look is charging. I wonder whether or not something that is like a dressing room once a day kind of tool, people will think that's good value for money. I think to me, although I love the idea, it's going to have to be part of something that's multifunction or it's going to have to be a lot, lot cheaper. Yeah, I I think it's a problem for both the look and the show. Although having said that, the look is potentially the one you put in the bedroom because of course it can operate as a a normal echo. And I've put dots in the bedroom uh, precisely to kind of do alarm clock and radio and that kind of of thing. The, The show. I mean, it feels to me like putting a, a tablet on it, it, it's the right place to go because actually that combination is very powerful, particularly for this idea of ambient computing, this idea that you can just talk anytime and there's, you know, there's no barriers in the way. And it's interesting that Amazon is also, you can now, the skills will just add themselves automatically. You don't actually mm. have to go into the app and do it. 
you may still have to do some setup, but they've kind of made that a little bit more friction free. But it does feel like it's quite a big ask. Whereas the Google Home and using that with the Chromecast and that working with your existing TV feels like it might be a little bit more accessible in cost terms. There is some problems with the TV in that you have to change the input to whatever HDMI what you plug it into, mm. but I suspect that's fixable yeah. in time. And so using the existing screen, and that could be a laptop or it could be a phone, I would be really interested to see how that works out. The one thing I think with that, um, the Echo Show, I can see my mother adopting that immediately. And she, she always uses the Echo, but the fact that you can just say Echo call Ewan, and it just will do it. I, I think that's really, really, really smart. And I, I, you, know, you don't need a laptop. You don't need anything else. And yes, it's expensive, $229, about £180. That is expensive, but it, it looks to me, I, I can envision it as something I would buy and buy two of them or three of them or four of them and just say, well, that's it. This is how we communicate now. We've done that with iPads. So mm, mm. for all our remote family, they either already had iPads or we've given them iPads as gifts. And now we're, we're completely a FaceTime family for you know talking to family in the states and family in ireland and we do that loads and it's become second nature but of course you have to have the ipad with you you have to have it on and you have to go and sit down and and use it and so that's okay for when you're video conferencing or when you're talking to someone because you probably want to have singular attention but actually if we are cooking and wanting to read the recipe or if we're wanting to look a piece of information up whilst you're in the kitchen you know, going and picking up the iPad and turning it on and putting the code in or using the Touch ID, it's too much. It is too Isn't much it hassle. Isn't it amazing? You, you it's want... too much hassle now, right? Isn't well, that amazing? Uh, but also, I mean, when you're cooking, your hands are dirty. I mean, the whole reason that we yeah. shout out the ingredients and set the timers verbally is because it means that you don't have to go and wash your hands in the sink and dry them so to then, you know, use the laptop. So this is ultimately why I think the show probably will work because it is actually better matched with the idea of ambient computing and it is a thing you can mm. just stick in and have it work. You referred to the calling there as well. Mm. I think that's quite a clever move. And actually Google announced something similar to I.O. for the home device. Amazon has sort of basically said free calling in the, the US and Canada and also introduced this idea of drop-in in the idea that you'd just be able to visit and there would be sort of, it would just connect. And it's the idea, it's kind of like the webcam combined with calling. And, you know, quite rightly, there was a bit of lash, flashback on kind of the privacy angle. But of course, there's certain family members you wouldn't actually care it's like them dropping around for coffee or if you yeah. did trust them with your front door keys is it okay for them to drop in any time i mean i still think there's some societal acceptance there and that's one issue but the calling thing is almost more interesting to me because if you get people used to the ideas that this also replaces your phone or more particularly your landline exactly when you oh, start yeah. getting into customer support which is i think the thing that conversational interfaces be they mm. text or be they voice are best suited for they're really powerful and actually we're already used to doing live chat on websites and the idea Mm. that you might be talking to a robot people are actually fine with that and then handing over to a human if you think you know the first half of most customer support journeys can be automated and we joke about oh have you turned it on and off yet but actually there's a real value in that and people will just think it's normal to talk to the echo to suddenly be connected into a customer support journey so when the tv's not working or the microwave stops working there will be an expectation that you can just go through your Alexa, your home assistant. And I think that could be quite a game changer. And that's why I think the calling is significant just as much as kind of free communication. Yeah. So, Ewan, you've got the home and the Echo. I do. 
Yes. Now, I said previously that I liked the Echo because there was something I couldn't put my finger on about the personality of the device. It kind of was, mm. it had come part of our lives and it was not a tech thing. It was a, I don't know, it was like a human design thing. Yeah. How do you feel about the Google Home? Well, it's interesting. So here I have the Echo Dot across there and I have the Google Home sitting next to me. And I, it feels to me that the Google Home is that bit better that the interface is that bit better. So for example, I can say, just play some trance. It will then pick a playlist called Recent Trancy that I've I've got. Obviously. I, l- I look <laughs> at you and your executive hair and I think trance music. Trance. Yeah. Transcendental. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Really good. Uh, I, like, I like my trance. But the, 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 the point is my, my playlist is called, for some reason, I called it Recent Trance-y. Trance-y, right? But the Google thing, it picks it up and just says, yeah, okay, no worries, playing it. And it plays it music. Whereas the echo, um, on these guys, in fact, that's right. Um, Alexa, oh, I should be doing that, should I? That's not helpful for people. <laughs> Go on, do do it, and I'll ask Mark to beep it out. Okay. Use Spotify to play trance. It's just playing some regular trance now, right? There we Whereas, go. So we we, uh, we can't hear it. It's too far away from the yeah, microphone. Yeah, but yeah. okay, no, it's just playing some music. Stop. You know. Okay, Google, play some trance. Spotify playlist called trance. Okay. Lovely. Oh, that's my yeah, favourite one. I like the when it goes doop, doop, doop. Yeah, that's my favourite bit. I like the fact that with the Google Home, you don't have to specify the service with the Echo. You don't yes. have to say on Spotify or something. But also, actually, one of the times that I, I sort of jarringly fall out of love with the Echo is when you say, I think we, we do this quite a lot, we say, play some children's music. And yes. there's like nursery rhymes and things. But I know there's a station on the Echo called Children's Music. But its response is, you ask for children's music. A station you might like is children's music. It's like, I know, I literally told you yeah, that. Just do it. Yeah. Do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely still some joining up on right. some of the narrative UX to do. I mean, you talked about the predictive powers that you displayed earlier in the year. It's noticeable that this is quite a fast-moving area. We've just had Google I.O. where they announced a bunch of announcements. We've already talked about calling. They've also talked about proactive assistance, and this is the idea of effectively sending push notifications to the Alexa or to the home. I mean, they're both going to have similar things. And basically, it alerts you that there's a message. It kind of works like an answer phone. You'll get a light on it. And you can play back a message. That's kind of interesting. I think there's going to be a great deal of debate over who's got permission, when's it's acceptable to send a notification to your smart device. But actually, you know, for asynchronous communication with family members, you can actually see something being recorded and sent over that way much like an answer. So that interests me. We, we talked about the calling. Google in particular was playing up its ability to stream other services. So at the moment, it was kind of YouTube, Google Photos. That's going to extend to a lot of the VOD services. You know, Netflix being probably the most important as far as most people are concerned. Yeah. But it's also starting to put a TV interface in place. And I found this interesting that Google Home would effectively sort of extend its presence onto the TV and it would be able to talk about, you know, what's on information from your calendar weather and it's the scenario you see in an awful lot of future vision concept films you know with a, you know, a day made of glass or the future of glass yeah, where you yeah. see it being used and i think it's really interesting that we've arrived at that and the entry gateway to that has been these home assistants which i think you perhaps wouldn't have predicted when they first came out it makes me wonder how much more there is to come and of course it's an upgradable product it's sort of able to come out and so there's still a lot to come i mean ben is is there anything with your predictive powers you want to pull out and go 
okay, that's what I want to see next. So I think that's particularly powerful. Well, I'm going to predict something that's already happened, which is a okay. much easier way to be successful. Excellent. And I think that the place that it screams out to me <laughs> as going next is in-car assistance. Absolutely. There has been oh. voice activation in-car for a long time, but the UX work that Google and Amazon have done to make something that works well in the kitchen will be equally good in a vehicle mm. about playing media and getting instructions or dealing with problems and getting simple bits of information back. And at the moment, Siri and the ones that are sort of the primarily smartphone-oriented ones don't work so well in my view. So I think that will happen. Yeah. And the way they've opened up the Echo services, and I forget the name, but you can now get to Alexa without Echo hardware effectively. Yeah suggests that actually they could power a lot of third-party devices, and I can see that working, including offline use as well, which is is obviously very powerful. I think the obvious thing has to be the separation of the device and the screen, which is that you're going to want to have, in the way that dots encourage you to have little speakers and little sensors around the home, you're going to have little photo frames or little passive sort of notification screens around the place, and it's not going to be TVs and it's not going to be smartphones because they require you to take them out of your pocket or turn them on. This is going to be more passive awareness, I think, around the place. And I can foresee kind of actually maybe the smart fridge that we all laugh about you know, year after year is finally going to have a place because it now is a good place to have that kind of universal kitchen screen. Yeah, I think that's, that's spot on and notification lights and things like that. That sort of as soon as you start connecting all of that together, it becomes really powerful. You also mentioned the narrative mm. UX there, which I think they've worked on and certainly my experience in starting to put together prototypes for this is 90% of the effort actually needs to go into that narrative UX because actually the underlying technology is relatively well it's simple or there's a platform for it now building it to work really well and I think building it to integrate with lots of things is going to be the harder thing to do but that actually may well deliver on this promise of kind of ambient computing that's all around you that at the moment, it's still a little bit, you have to ask for something, you have to do something. I really like the idea of, I mean, I've, we've talked about it on the podcast, but smart umbrellas that actually light up when it's going to rain to remind you to take them with you, to extend that to a much broader set of scenarios and contexts. Very powerful. Well, the other thing, you and that we're, we're, we're nearly out of time, but the other thing that strikes me is, mm. as a person who's tried to do a video conference in a business environment today, and had the call drop out, and do you remember the dialing yeah. number, and what's the code, and are we ch- we're going to have to change rooms? Oh, this phone's not logged in properly. And um, how do we get that? Oh, I need to show the thing, but like I've plugged it into the telly, but the telly's not showing my screen. And oh no, now the people down the conference call line can't. I can see meeting room echoes. You know, this is meeting, whatever, you know, call these people. And there's nothing particularly special, but by having a voice interface, it forces the most simple UX because, you know, all of our meeting rooms have these incredibly fancy audio visual systems, which no one can work because you need to spend a lot of time training in in all the various ways of plugging things in and enabling them and if you simply could say you know alexa show the attendees my screen and please dial in to the regular weekly status update call i think there's the beginnings of quite a powerful enterprise market there so you're sort of saying meeting rooms powered by the star trek computer yeah absolutely but i mean that my kitchen's powered by the star trek computer Mm. now and i mean if i can capture the fact that i need more nappies and kitchen roll using a voice assistant it can definitely do a status call I was trying to do a joke there, and, and it didn't quite work. Oh, sorry. Cause my, they, my joke was to leave a bit of silence and then go, sorry, I was on mute. 
<laughs> oh. <laughs> Which, how many conference calls are you in when, oh, yeah, sorry, I was on mute. Jeez. Oh. Yeah. What they mean so, is, yes. I was just reading my email. Sorry, could you repeat what you were saying? <laughs> that's the secret. Yeah, can you repeat the last 20 minutes, please? Yeah, that's the dirty secret is, I was on mute. But these things, I wasn't paying they, attention. they need, yeah, they need to be super, super smooth, especially, you know, it's, it's hundreds of thousands in some cases when you're fitting out a video conferencing suite. Mm. And, you know, the technology is doable and it's an arse, but you usually have to go and get someone. And even me and even you, you know, as, an, as technology familiar people, I, I was wondering, I thought, if I press this button, we're trying to conference in another room in a different country. And I, I just said to everybody, should I press it? And everyone's going to go, because uh, if I do press it and it doesn't work the way we're thinking, the whole thing's screwed. And we're going to have to do this whole thing. Again. You know, it did actually work. That's great. But it's, it wasn't at all simple. I'm actually slowly building a, a, the, the Smith Museum of widgets that you have to download for that conference call service you only use with that one particular vendor that you only have ah. the six-month contract with. And, uh. you know, every meeting commences with, I've just clicked the link to start the video. Oh, hang on, I'm downloading the widget. Oh, no, I've got to restart my browser. Hang on a minute, it's not connecting. Oh, the firewall's blocking the thing. I, I, no, I'm in the wrong office, and we're using the so-and-so internet and not yeah. that internet. Yeah. So yep. can I, I can't see your computer. <laughs> just oh. change the network, yeah. And I Can wish you just email it to yeah. me. Email what, it to me. Uh, yeah. What about what about <laughs> if we don't buy your service instead? So, anyways, we should wrap up there. But I am properly excited about these things. And actually, for the longest time, we were saying, oh, God, it's quite difficult to get excited about phones and tariffs and networks anymore," which was the right. thing that we started right. talking about so many years ago. And um, I think this for me is actually what is now exciting we're and getting fresh there. yeah and it yes. is way more interesting and is why we should keep being interested okay so last episode of this season season 14 episode 10 done in the bank obviously because we've had such a massive gap we won't leave it quite so long but we do need a little bit of time to plan series 15 we were a bit kiboshed by somebody thoughtlessly moving country during season what? 14 but we do have some plans to change up our content, try and do a little more outside of the studio, et cetera, et cetera. And I think you should come to Copenhagen. I think it'd be lovely to come to Copenhagen. I'd also like to report to all our sponsors and supporters. Thank you very much. We're now the- Very now, patient. We're now the, well, thank you for your patience, but also we're now the proud possessors of a brand new 361 equipment flight case, which you have funded for us, which allows us to keep and transport all of the audio equipment we have safely thank you very much for purchasing that and allowing us to continue will that to go do. on a plane by the way i think it will go on a plane but you may not be able to put anything else on the plane on account of it being really quite heavy okay oh, we'll figure something out then yeah we have clever mobile audio gear as well which will go in a rucksack so we have the i the, want to see blanford on a bike there we go that's something to look forward to so thank you can, for you, a, can you cycle blanford by the way sorry he can but only a penny farthing ah of course there we go so thank you very much for listening. As ever, we'd love your feedback and comments. We're at 361podcast on Twitter, 361podcast on Instagram, where we will continue to post comedy photos of Ref Blanford. Go there and indeed follow him there as well. 361podcast.com, where you can comment on the episode. And we'd love to hear topics for future episodes and your questions for a future Q&A episode coming up. So please do write in. You can find email details on the site. Thank you, gents. It's been a pleasure. Lots of love. Thank you. Thank you. We should say thank you very much to Mark at audiowrangler.co.uk who edits this. Thank you to our friends at Digitus LBI who allow us to have the recording space and access to Ray Blanford. And we will be back in a few weeks with season 15. Bye-bye. It's his first time. Stop uh, spoiling. Fair enough, yeah. It is my first time. I loved it. I didn't do a joke this week. Rafe, did I tell you a friend of mine got buffet phobia? No, you didn't. Yeah, fear of buffets. But it's, it's easy to cure, though, you know? Uh, how's that? You just have to want to help yourself. Oh. Uh... <laughs>
Uh, this is this is basically why I do three six one. <laughs>